I want to make sure not to forget to point out, though it was light, there was a nice misty rain. I noticed that I got home pretty late uh, last night, and it was such a nice dew that even there, our neighbor has these um, wild grasses they've planted that have gotten rather large on our border, and they're just beautiful. And uh, kind of like you might see at the, at the zoo or different places, ornamental grass, but they were drooping. And they were drooping because enough moisture had settled upon them. And you can think of how God provided the manna as due every morning for the people. And what we're going to be reminded in our text, we won't spend an enormous amount of time on it, but there's enough said that will take a little bit of explanation. The text, is not, we're not, the text is not directly about this. We won't think about it too much. But we want to recognize that God sends the rain. Rain is from God. It's a blessing, and he gives it to us. So let's remember to bless the Lord and just be thanking him for rain. We got some in some areas last Monday, and it's an unusual time of year in San Diego to get it. So let's just thank the Lord. It's amazing how just a little bit of new, fresh growth. It's getting green in the back lot again, uh, you know, just a little bit. And I'm noticing some of the hills that were brown are green again. Let's thank the Lord and pray that he blesses us today, most importantly, with rain from heaven spiritually, that the Holy Spirit bubbles up more water from within and causes us to grow lush and green and produce much fruit. But we give ourselves to the scriptures that will include his comment about giving rain in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We've um, come back there. Please turn there with me. We turn to Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And like last week, we're going to spill into the next chapter and read it completely, Deuteronomy chapter 11. So Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 through chapter 11 verse 32. And uh, naturally, there's an overlap with last week. I will revisit and remind you what this is about today. But I, I do want to repeat, as I have been uh, setting you up in the worship a little bit, I want you to recognize as we're reading this, uh, that this is the end of Moses' sermon on the first commandment. Remember, this is a covenant renewal peace treaty, Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments are in short form as well. And after the, the preamble, the historical prologue, then the, the, the commandments of God, the king to his vassal people who have agreed to be his people, his way of life for them, in summary form, the stipulations, the Ten Commandments, and then as is common with near, uh, ancient Near Eastern peace treaties, now an expansion and application of each of those laws. And so that's where we are in most of Deuteronomy, and we have been in the rather lengthy sermon on the first commandment, thou shalt have have no other gods before me from Deuteronomy 5. We will complete that today. So next time, Lord willing, we come back, we'll be starting the second commandment, no idols. Closely relating, uh, but today I just want you to recognize, I think it's helpful to recognize we are completing uh, the first commandment. And again, it's a bit of a lengthy read uh, because I think it really all does go together. Similar to last week, I thought it'd be easy for you and me. I'm going to probably just do like, I forget, but, uh, you know, just the next section of chapter 10. I wasn't thinking I'd have to do all of it and into chapter 11, but it, it really does, I think, belong together. And uh, we're making some progress as well. And uh, we are called upon to progress and we are called upon to progress by making a choice today. It's one of the things I'll highlight as the main thing. The Lord is holding out a choice to you today as he closes the first commandment. And the choice is... Will God be only God to you? 
or will you serve other gods? That's the choice he's calling upon you. And of course, to choose him as your only God, and we'll see what that looks like, is to choose a blessing. So you have a choice today, beloved. What are you going to choose for yourself today? For this day, the Lord's day, for tomorrow, for the week, for your months, for your life, for your careers, for your studies, for who you marry, for your families. You have a choice, a choice you make every moment, every day. And he's holding it out to you with an amazing illustration today that will come back later. What do you choose? Choose God, choose his blessing, no other gods before him. And if you choose that, it'll be seen in your loving and keeping his commands. Hear now the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 through 11, verse 32. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee these great and terrible things, which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. Chapter 11. Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children, which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm, and his miracles, and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and unto all his land, and what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses, and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you. And how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day. And what he did unto you in the wilderness until you came into this place. 
and what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong, and it go in and possess the land, whither ye go to possess it. And that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And the land whither thou goest in to possess it, is it not as the land of Egypt from whence ye came out? Uh, is it not as the land of Egypt from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs? But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for the cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then... The Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied. And the days of your children, in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place 
whereon the soles of your feet shall tread, shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods, which ye have not known. And it shall come to pass. When the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land, whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side Jordan? By the way, there the sun goeth down in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the champaign over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Morah. For ye shall possess over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you, and ye shall possess it and dwell therein. And ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. May God bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the loving, and the living of this, his word. Again, beloved, today we are looking at Moses' explanation and application of the first commandment. And we are looking at his conclusion. You might say all that we read is, is almost a conclusion because it summarizes a lot of that what's already been said. And it's touching on a few things that are going to come, but it ultimately completes, have no other gods before me. And the way that will be seen is if you love him and keep his commands. No other gods before me. I want to remind you again that Deuteronomy is following a structure of Near Eastern peace treaties at the time. There's a preamble, there's a historical prologue, then there are the stipulations in short form, which is the Ten Commandments, and then there is the expounding and explaining and applying of each of those main laws by the king to his people. And that's what Moses is doing. And he just completed the first commandment. He's going to go through all ten. Uh, now, I just want to point out to you uh, that this is from Deuteronomy 6, verses, verse 1, through the end of our chapter today, Deuteronomy 11:32. That is his sermon, you can say, on the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. It's all essentially one sermon. And uh, John Currid points that out, and that verses 31 to 32 is an inclusio with verse 1. If you look at the phrasing at the end of chapter 11, it's very closely related to the wording of verse 1 of chapter 6. 
verses, uh, verse 1 I think is tied in a little bit to chapter 5 as you'll remember as we went through it. Verses 2 and 3 is a bit transitory, particularly verses 4 and 5 with the great Shema, but chapter 6 through the end of chapter 11 is the sermon by Moses on the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it was long and it was lengthy. And uh, last week and this week, of course, are rather lengthy sections of it. Uh, it repeats, again, most of what's come before in that section. I think you would have noticed that. There are a few places where it looks ahead a bit to other things, but most of those things will come in Deuteronomy later and in greater detail. So what I'm looking at to do today is let it be the summary conclusion that it mainly is about the first commandment. We're going to look uh, mostly at the main summary points and the final summary point related to it, closing the first commandment. And that is... That God's people are called upon to make a choice of love, life, and the Lord alone. I give that to you as the summary, the main point of the text. It's not the main point of the sermon, but it will be based on that as, as always. That's uh, what you'll see in a moment. But this is a, it's a lot of text I want to emphasize, especially today. I always repeat it. But the main idea of our text is this. God's people are called upon to make a choice of love, life, and the Lord alone. Last week, we were reminded that God is faithful to his covenant love to you, his people, through Christ the mediator, not because of, because of any righteousness in you, you rebellious, stiff-necked people, right? Uh, but because of his sovereign choice and his sovereign covenant. Meredith Klein points out that this text today is a call to you. Of renewed commitment. And again, that's what Deuteronomy is as a whole as well. They've made it through the 40 years journey. They're back at the promised land. This time they're going to go in. And if they want to go in and they want to stay, they need to remember who they are and to obey the Lord this time, to believe him, obey him and serve only him. It's a call to commitment. Last week, you were reminded of God's commitment to you when you don't deserve it. But again, it's a reciprocal relationship, though he's sovereign over it. He calls upon you to be faithful in return. To recommit. And we looked at last week, there was a sense of the making of the second uh, Ten Commandment tablets. There was a, you know, a symbolic uh, renewal of his faithfulness to us in the covenant. And he's calling upon you to do the same. And there is a ceremony he's giving to them at the time that will be talked about more at the end of Deuteronomy. And that will actually happen in Joshua chapter 8. He's calling upon you to respond in a ceremonial commitment, but truly circumcised in your heart of love and faithfulness to him in response to God's faithfulness as our heavenly husband. Today, we are reminded to respond in kind as a faithful wife and to choose love and life in the Lord alone. And that's in your tech, that's in your bulletin as the main point to take with you from the sermon today. Here's what to do. Here's what to apply with it. Choose. Choose life. Choose love and the Lord alone. Choose love and life in the Lord alone. First of all, choose love. Choose love. A relationship of a husband and wife 
a father and child is love. God, similarly, who is our father and often spoken of as, as if he's our husband in the scriptures, he chooses to love us. That's in the text. And he chooses to love our seed. That's in the text. When we're not lovable, he chooses this. And we are called upon to love him back. Remembering our, our original marriage vows and remembering, you know, the old marriage vows that still are said by ladies in this church to love and obey their husband. And there shouldn't be a squeamishing of that. And I love to see our ladies don't struggle to say obey and don't struggle with the idea of obeying their husbands. Because it's reflecting how we are to love and obey God. And this is the emphasis, one of the emphasis of our text today. Our heart. Notice how he's talking about our heart again today. That comes up a lot, as it has before in this sermon on the first commandment by Moses. And love, of course, the great Shema speaks of both at the beginning in chapter 6 of this sermon on the first commandment. One of the main sub-things in this section is no surprise. Obey all that God commands. Or put another way, love God alone with everything in you. The great Shema, chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Why? Because God is love, remember. God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. And to love God is to keep his commandments. Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. 1 John 5, verse 3, spoken of the one, his beloved, the one who specially loves him, John. Loving Jesus is to keep his commandments. And that they are not grievous to us. When we love God as our father and our loving husband who has loved us unconditionally, calls on us to respond in kind. That's not grievous. Oh, man, I got to do this. Oh, man, I got to. No, I love my dad. I'm happy to do that. I love my mom. I love my husband. I'm happy to do this out of love. And otherwise, it isn't obedience. Right? It's fake. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. We're called upon to love. It starts from there in the heart, which will be seen in the keeping of his commandments. And remember Deuteronomy 5, verse 10, within the Ten Commandments says, He shows mercy to those who what? Who love him. And that love is described or seen in what? Keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments. This is repeating Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. But let's see this emphasis. One of the sub-themes of our scripture today, love God by keeping his commandments. Let's, let's look at that. 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. Notice this idea of walking with him. It's come up before. It's not the last time. I mean, they are literally walking with him through the wilderness into the, into the promised land where Jesus calls upon us to follow him. We're called upon to walk with him. But notice that is, that's a fellowship. That's a family. That's a, that's a fellowship. That's a communion we're talking about. Walking with him. It's said of uh, several in Genesis that he walked with God. Uh, look at verse 13. 
the first part, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Look at verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Notice circumcision, which was brought up as one of the, uh, of the two sacraments, now as baptism, is, is meant to be a sign of what should be happening inwardly. Verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. Have in view, we're going to think about cleaving again later. That comes up several times. Cleaving is that I have clinging to. Think about walking, but walking like a child with his dad or mom to be safe, cleaving. And sometimes we see them holding on our hands. Sometimes we see them cleaving to our legs, you know. That's the idea. Uh, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Therefore, thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments alway. Do you notice how often the word alway, all his commandments, alway. Do everything he says all the time. Look at verse 8. The first part of chapter 11. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day. Verse 13 of chapter 11. And it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 16, the first part, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. The contrast is given here. Make sure you don't do the opposite. That will come up a few times. Uh, verse 18, therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets before your eyes and you remember a lot of that language and what follows from earlier in the sermon on the first commandment verse 22 for if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments now that's something that uh, comes up several times you'll see diligently keep and uh, that came up in an earlier sermon and in, in an earlier part of this sermon by Moses between chapter 6 and now diligently keep not just keep diligently keep remember Hebrews says he is Lord is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him obviously to serve him diligently so for if ye diligently keep He's calling for Puritan zeal for love and good works, right? And to provoking one another unto them. And again, we've got to recognize this. This is not the way we actually tend to approach the Lord or with one another. We go through the motions. He's calling us to really love him fervently, to be seen in zeal and diligent service. If ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him. You notice this repetitive language is there for a reason. Uh, verse 27 of chapter 11. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. The first part of verse 28, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day. 
and goes on to refer to especially the first commandment. We'll come back to that. And then verse 32, the, the last verse. And ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. So, beloved, as they're about to go into the promised land and how to live there, and as you and I are about to take the next step in our pilgrimage as we're waiting to enter into the promised land, one thing that should be abundantly clear, do everything God says out of love from your heart. Do everything. Choose love. Keep all God's commandments all the time. And that is to show that you love the Lord with all that is within you. Choose love. It opens and closes with how to live. Love God by keeping his commands given to you in love. Chapter 10, 15. I loved your forefathers. I chose them and thus you as their seed in him. I loved you. That's why we're having this conversation. And as we looked at last week, that's why we're still having this conversation when we probably, you know, very well might not have. Except for the mediation of Christ and God's covenant commitment and his love before the foundation of the world. Beloved, let me ask you this question. What is God's will for your life? Lots of people like to ask that. I want to ask that especially of the young people, but, you know, all of us still look in, well, maybe when we don't look in the mirror, we still think we're 18, right? And, we're, we, and the thing is, is we still have choices to make every day is the truth. Especially I want to challenge our young people as you're, you know, going through school, as you're endeavoring on college, if you're starting new marriages, looking ahead to starting new families and looking at careers. You know, often the question is, what is God's will for my life? But you're not thinking about this. Not first. Maybe not even second. Maybe not third. Not really. I know that because I know it's true for me. God have mercy and help us. What is God's will for your life? This chapter tells you. This chapter is the answer. Or as is said similarly in a more well-known verse, Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's kind of a similar refrain all through the text. Love him, walk with him, serve him, do his ways that are just, have mercy, walk closely with him. This is God's will for your life. I, I think I can testify for most of us, a lot of what we think is God's will for our life later, I guess not. That was my will, right? We don't know. I heard someone quoted recently, and I, I don't mean to be uh, blasphemous or disrespectful, but I think it's helpful. One famous celebrity has said, and I don't believe the person's a believer, but I think it's worth thinking of for us. If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> okay, that's what you think you're going to do with your life. <laughs> you know, Here's what God wants to do with your life, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to help you and do it, but hear what he wants. His life for you is to serve him. Walk with him closely. Do everything he commands in your life. Be more concerned about how you live your life than what specific thing you do in providing for your family or developing a name or doing this or that or living here or there. Serve him first and only. This is his will for your life. And the great thing is, beloved, especially young people, you don't have to keep trying to figure it out. Yeah, you need his discernment and guidance and provision. You do have to make decisions. But ultimately, this is where your choice starts. 
Live for him. Love him. Live the way he says to live out of love. He has shown you his will for your life. Or 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 in the New Testament. What is God's will for you, the church? Your sanctification. He's far more concerned about how you live, how you think, how you behave, how you act towards him and one another. Then he is concerned about your quote-unquote career or how many cars you have or don't have or, you know, what this or that looks like. He's far more interested and he's primarily, you really can say he is only interested in how you choose to live for him. That you choose to love him. And whether you keep all these commands or not, or to what degree you do is a sign of your love. Again, that is choose to love the Lord. Because the Spirit's first fruit, remember when the Spirit is bearing fruit in you, Galatians 5, the first fruit mentioned is love. Choose to love the Lord, which is to live for him and to choose to enjoy living. How often do we see most of the world griping and complaining? Sadly, how often do we see that in the history of the church? In the whole book of Numbers, in some Exodus, which Paul makes a big thing about in 1 Corinthians 10, learn by their example and stop complaining all the time. Stop living as if you have it so hard. Oh, this isn't that we don't moan and cry out related to real afflictions, but I'm sorry, a lot of the times it isn't any affliction at all. We just beat ourselves because we're so, dis, you know, so lacking contentment with all that we have and that Christ won't ever leave us nor forsake us. Enjoy living. Choose to enjoy life. Choose to recognize that the good and the bad is all working for your good according to uh, God's plan for you, for you who love him. Choose life. Choose love and choose life. Jesus holds it out for you to choose. Two different roads you can follow. One or the other and there's no in between and there's no other option. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. There's two different roads. One, the broad way the world's going, disobedience and rebellion to God, wanting to be our own gods and make other things our gods, to be our own God ultimately. The broad way that leads to destruction, the way of the world, and most people in the world are on that road. That's what Jesus says. They aren't enjoying life here, and they're not going to enjoy life where they are going to be, though they think they will. The other road you can choose is the narrow way that leads to life. That is his way. And again, beloved, you can't travel both. And God is holding up before you. He's reminding you because it's so easy to get distracted and be in danger of sliding off to the broad way. Following those who are designed to pretend they're with us and lead us off the mixed multitude. Choose which way you're going to go based on choosing God alone to love and live for him so that you choose to have the blessed life that only comes down that road. Or maybe you say we should go up that road and into glory land. Now, he's saying this. He's holding out the blessing, I think, is emphasizing, primarily choosing the blessing. But it, there is a backdrop. He does spend some verses 
about choosing not to obey God. And if you choose not to obey God and go that broad way, the consequences you'll face of lost land and lost life. We aren't going to dwell on that today so much because I don't think it's the emphasis. I think it's the backdrop for the second emphasis. Choose the blessing. But that is in chapter 11, verses 5 to 6, verses 16 to 17, and verse 28. Here's one of the striking illustrations, if you'll allow me to comment briefly. What is one of the stories that's told? Watch out. Don't be like Dathan and Abiram. Rebelling against God and Moses and what happened? It's a striking contrast, I think, deliberately chosen because so much is talked about the promised land and how that earth, in distinction from Egypt, is a better land. It's just so much more blessed by God. Naturally, it's going to bless you so much more. It'll be less work. Your blessings will come from God. You won't have to work as hard. You know, kind of a type of what Eden was and what heaven will be. But think about this. How were uh, Dathan and Abiram punished? With so many others, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. It was in the desert too, right? The wilderness. Why were they there? Because they wouldn't believe God and obey the first time. 40 years before. So the earth, there's a lot of, you know, they're all dying in the desert. The first generation. But some of them in horrible ways of extra judgment. In this case, the very earth swallowing them up. Instead of going into the promised land and being blessed by the rain and the milk and honey. Just remember, if you don't. Those who are swallowed up in the harsh desert wasteland. That's a striking contrast. But Moses is using that as the backdrop to emphasize the opportunity to choose life. To choose a good life and a long life in the promised land. And beloved, people want to convince you. Satan wants to convince you. This is the dreary life. Oh, Puritans, they didn't know any joy. They, they want to convince you this is the dreaded life to have to be in chains to God, not do what you want. But the reality is if you are not serving God freely in the law of liberty, you are still in chains to Pharaoh in the world. You're slaves. And that is misery. And they find out that it's misery to disobey because they eventually go out and change, so to speak, to the Babylonians, to the Medo-Persians, all these people coming into the Assyrians first. You know, they're all taking them out and away from the promised land because they're not heeding this. But the promised land is a type of heaven. Of course, it is only secured for us in Christ. That's what you want to recognize. We know the story. We know the story for us. We don't love God perfectly. We're tempted to false gods. We mostly make ourselves God. We know we can't live this perfectly, and we won't get or stay in heaven because of it. We remember Jesus Christ has lived this perfectly for us and all the commands all the time perfectly so that when he pays for our sin as the lamb without blemish, as we are reminded in Leviticus readings this morning, he also gives us his perfect righteousness and the, and the reward of everlasting life in God's presence in the true promised land, the new heavens and earth with our new resurrected bodies. We want to remember this is all ultimately pointing to him and bringing us to heaven by his perfect obedience. But he's also offering you the best tastes of that kingdom citizenship life and how you choose to live it along your pilgrimage. There is the typological thing going on here, the, the type of uh, needing Christ to obey perfectly for us so that we live in the perfect promised land and that we don't get kicked out and lose it like Adam and Eve did, the other type, right? 
But there still is this reality of choosing a blessing and a better life along the way. Not always with these material things that are mentioned, but I think that can be included, but also our ability to enjoy them, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Paul says, learn how, no matter what your situation, to have much or little to be content. You know, how to be able to enjoy. The blessing is, as we learn with the shorter catechism, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we ask for a competent portion of the good things of this life, and that we would enjoy God's blessing with it. And we wouldn't be like them in the wilderness when he sends quail and it's coming out their noses, and they're nasty about how they're eating it like animals. Can't enjoy fellowship with God or one another. Because they curse the blessing and they're not responding. We, we want to recognize we can choose to have a better life, a more enjoyable life, a blessed life with Christ along the way in this life he's given us. To choose to love the Lord by keeping his commands is to choose his blessing. That's the next sub theme. And I would say the second to the highest theme blessing. Choose the blessing on your life as well as life itself. The fruit of the root. This is the next and bigger theme again to be blessed to have it go well for you. You know there's just that. It's for your own good. There's just that motivation like Paul tells husbands how to treat their wives because she's your body. It's for your own good. You treat your own body, right? And there's this call. Look, if you treat the Lord, he's your head, you're his body. You're just bringing a blessing upon yourself. It's for your own good. And I, I was going to make that the main idea today, the blessing. But, but it goes further than that. But that's the idea. Choose the blessing from God. Choose life. Choose a good life. Choose an abundant life along the way. Yeah, take eternal life by choosing Christ, but then choose to live properly along with Christ, better and better by his grace, the work of his Holy Spirit, that you have more of his fruit and enjoy that life more along the way, regardless of what life brings to you. Choose a blessing. Let's look at that theme. Chapter 10, verse 13, the first part. Forgive me, I think I'm um, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Yes, it is there for thy good. Pardon me, my uh, my eyes were skip skipping over it. It's that last phrase for thy good. Don't miss that. This is going to come up a lot, but he's setting it up at the beginning for your good. At the conclusion of his sermon, he wants to motivate you. It's for your own good. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to have a blessed life? This is how. And my main concern is I want you to have this blessed life in the promised land. For thy good. Do these things for thy good. Choose life. Choose love. Living for the Lord. That you would choose to have his blessed life upon you. Because living his commands is a blessing in itself. And it brings blessing. Moses seeks to motivate for your own good. Look at chapter 11 verse 8. The second part. Chapter 11 verse 8. Do these things that ye may be strong and to go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it. You know, we're called to have a strong faith. 
called to quit ourselves like men. So how can we be strong? By obeying God's commands, by choosing now and living for the Lord in love and keeping his commands. And it's in the keeping of those commands that we become stronger in keeping them. And then we become stronger body and soul in our lives. Do this for your good. Do this for your own strength. I mean, remember in 1 Corinthians 11, it says some of you are weak and some of you are dying because you're not keeping the Lord's Supper the way you should. Because you're not judging yourselves, you have to be judged. Lord does this so you don't die with the world. But recognize there's an aspect of you will be weak. And that includes physically, sometimes, for a lack of living for the Lord in love. And that will draw weakness. Well, there are many disclaimers that could be give, given. There are many seasons of life that has nothing to do with why that could be. But let's not overlook it can be. And if nothing else, we're weak in our ability to handle things. It can't be said of us like Abraham, we have a strong faith. Because we don't exercise the faith in living out our love for the Lord. But the opportunity is to have it go good. And that we'd have a strong self and a strong people in the Lord. Look with me to verse 9. And that ye may prolong your days in the land, which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Ah, the land and all the blessings you're going to have by getting to stay there alone. But notice, prolong your days. Live long days. Now that's related to uh, the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother that your days may go long, that they may go well for you. Paul quotes that in chapter 6 of Ephesians to children why you should obey your parents again because there's a promise he emphasizes there's a reason annexed of a promise of long life verses 10 and 11 for the land whither thou goest into possess it is not as the land of Egypt from whence ye came out where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs but the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Now here's an interesting image because this is a bit of a new concept and I, I don't know that it's repeated later. What does it mean that you watered the plants with your foot? It means, you know, uh, irrigation. You had to bring your foot as slaves and draw these lines of the dirt and the mud to get the water to follow because in Egypt they don't get rain. Everything depends on the Nile, and it's overflowing. And so they have to draw all of their water, as wonderful it is from the Nile, they have to draw it all out to get it into the places so that they can grow their crops. And God says, look, you don't have to have that anymore. Although a bunch of you fools asked to go back to Egypt and to the wilderness to die there. I'm bringing you in the promised land. You don't need the river. Rain from heaven. Tons of water, tons of rain. And of course, this is emphasizing grace, right? And that all blessings come from God. It's not going to be by your work and slavery. It's going to be by God's grace and freedom and blessing. Just don't risk limiting that by disobedience. Embrace and have its fullness. Many scriptures speak about the Lord giving or holding back rain, often related to whether they were living for or against the Lord in the land. But the land of the Canaanites, it drinketh the rain. It just, there's so much. God gives so much wetness. And think about how he did provide the, the manna by the morning dew every morning. Look at verse 13. We just want to look at the if. And it shall come to pass if. I want you to see the word if. There's an if-then thing here. Verse 13. If you do these things, 
Then, verses 14 to 15, that I will give you the rain on your land in his due season, the rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Ah, satisfied. I'm full. It could be translated satisfied. You're going to be satisfied. And whatever the Lord does give you in and out of season, he's going to cause you to be able to be satisfied and enjoy his blessing with it. Do this for your own good, for strength, for your own satisfaction. I mean, what do the people of the world sing as their theme songs? I can't get no satisfaction. God satisfies. God alone provides contentment. Look at verse uh, uh, 2021. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Notice this emphasis on passing on a blessing to the children. You want to bless your families? You want to bless your children? Well, he talks a lot about how to do that in this text. We don't repeat it in detail because it came earlier in this sermon on the first commandment. But teach them, lead them, be the example for them to follow. If you want them to be blessed and love the Lord and have all his blessings, lead them in it. Don't only bless yourself, bless your children. That God will multiply your days and multiply your families. Multiply the church. Verse 22. For if ye shall diligently, notice that again, diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him. Notice the word if. I meant to emphasize the word if again in verse 22. Then, verses 23 to 25. Then will the Lord drive out all the nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yours. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon as he hath showed as he has said unto you. Now keep in mind they don't conquer the whole land. And they don't stay in it. Why? They don't conquer all the peoples. Why? Because they don't obey God, including the command to conquer all the people. You give Saul as one example. They don't do everything the Lord says, and there are consequences. Though he's giving victory, there are consequences and setbacks. Achan, his own family, was a major setback. Death, right? But the whole congregation is affected. So we've got to recognize... The experience of these blessings will be to a decreased or greater degree upon your responding to me as a faithful wife or a faithful child. And naturally, it's the same way we have to be with our wives and with our children. We have to train faithful obedience and true circumcised heart love. And there's always our love, but there is that love that goes in different ways. Like Jesus says in Revelation to the churches of Asia, them whom I love, I rebuke. He's purging them to be a more faithful church, a more faithful wife. Repent, therefore, he says. And that's a call upon us. Verse 26, the first part. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing. Now, also in contrast to a curse, but a blessing. And that's the emphasis. I'm encouraging you. It's kind of like you have two choices, but I feel like he's really saying, but of course, this is the choice. You could choose this. Don't choose this. Choose this. Those are your choices, but don't choose this. Choose the blessing. 
And then verses 27 and, uh, through 29, or excuse me, verse 27, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. Blessing. Choose to love the Lord and live for him according to his commandments and get the blessing. And that's the real emphasis. Love and serve the Lord for your own sake. Of course, it's ultimately for his glory, but for your own sake and for that of your family and the church and your nation, love and serve the Lord. Blessing will be yours because of obedience. Uh, verse 29 uh, and following, and it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land, whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim. Notice that Mount Gerizim, verse 29. Now we're going to come back and look at this image given to us to close the conclusion of this sermon on the first commandment by Moses. But notice again, blessing. There's the emphasis. Choose life. Choose love of the Lord. So you choose life for yourself and others. You can also look, uh, I'll, I'll just mention it now, but you can read chapter 5, verse 33, chapter 6, verse 3, the beginning of this sermon, and verse 24, and then of course you can go back to chapter 4, verse 40, which are all saying that it would go well with thee. Live for the Lord in love, that it would go well with thee, that you would be getting his full blessing, enjoying all the fruits of your labor for him. P.C. Craigie explains, Moses was deeply concerned that the people who were under his charge should enter into the fullness of life that was potential in the covenant relationship with God. The, we saw last week the covenant isn't broken. God keeps his, his covenant but boy, are they affected by their disobedience along the way in the marriage, right? Boy, do they have to face consequences and setbacks and training. Notice the chastisement and the discipline is actually education and training, just as we know from Proverbs 3 and Hebrews uh, chapter 12. But, you know, that, that bond, that covenant bond is never broken with the Lord. But the fullness of what could be enjoyed within that relationship because of the covenant can ebb or flow based on the flow of the blood of our heart for or against Christ. And Christ, in his Sermon on the Mount, which is also the exposition and application of his Ten Commandments, essentially, and he takes it a lot further than Moses does and a lot closer to heart and home. But he begins it with what? His Beatitudes, right? Matthew 5 to 7, blessed are they blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the merciful right blessed are the pure in heart they'll see God right but the thing is is they're all curses you know and I when I preached that it was something like this the message uh, blessed Christians you think you're cursed but you're blessed the world thinks of all those things as curses but Jesus is saying no actually it's blessing it's blessing what seems cursed is actually a blessing with delayed gratification and present peace and within that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you as well. 
Luke 6, 40 to 7 to 48, Jesus gives in contrast to verse 49, and he says, you who hear my words and do what I say, Jesus is saying this, New Testament folks, you who build your life with me according to how I say to live your life, according to my commandments, are like those who build your house upon a rock. And you can endure the storms of life and they will come and they are coming. But you'll be able to endure them. Your home won't be knocked over. And of course, this is a metaphor for you and your life. You won't be knocked over as his church because you're building your house on a rock. But what is that to enjoy enduring life? Keeping his commands, hearing what he says to do and keeping his commands. He also does offer the other option. But we're emphasizing Choose the blessing. Now, Jesus says, you who hear my commandments. Now, sometimes in our text, you see it, hearken or hear. Sometimes the word is obey. Sometimes the word obey could have been translated here because it's more literally here. And we've seen that before. Listening, hearing has so much to do with keeping. Because if you're not listening, how are you going to even know what to do, let alone keep it? Listening, because that's also how we learn, Right? I trained my toddler right now. How do we listen in church? Not with our mouth, with our eyes and with our ears. And we don't listen in worship by running around and talking, by sitting still and sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to our good shepherd and what he has to say to us. Well, we all need to keep learning that here hear Jesus. And how does this sermon by Moses from chapter 6 through chapter 11 start? The great Shema. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. And you see that many times, including our text today. Hear. Listen. Often the reason you're not loving and you're not living and enjoying the life you could is because you're just not listening. Hear Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus gives eternal life and life abundantly to choose to love and live in and for him. For there is no other source of life and love but him who is life. And as we saw already, who is love? Choose the Lord alone. Choose love. Choose life. Ultimately, choose the Lord alone. Choose the Lord alone. You know, we often emphasize the importance of a choice saying something like this. This is big. You know, we have something before, oh, this is big, or this is huge. I recognize so much depends on what my decision is. This is huge. This is big. Yeah, I, I often think, I mean, maybe, maybe it's appropriate. I can think of kind of fun some of the game shows, you know, what's behind this door, or which thing do you choose, and you're going to find out. It's a big choice whether you get a little or a lot. It's a big deal, right? And God lays out options to you on two mountains today. He holds out your options on two mountains that they're about to pass through. As soon as they cross over the Jordan, not long after, they'll be, pounding, be passing between these two mountains in the valley of Shechem. And he's saying, as you're passing through and you see this, let these mountains be a witness to you. O Israel, who do you choose? 
What do you choose for yourself? Blessing or curse? Life or death? Love? Do you choose the Lord who's bringing you in? Or do you choose the false gods who will be left for you here? If you don't obey, he's saying one mountain is showing you a testimony of curse. One is a testimony of life. And you're going to enact this. You're going to live this out in a covenant renewal ceremony after you've passed through and you're in the promised land. First thing I want you to do, what are you going to do? They set memorials up all the time, right? Rocks, crossing things set up. I'm reminding you, these mountains will always be witnessing to you in generation after generation. Life, blessing or death curse. What do you choose? That's the emphasis of the text today is for you to make a choice. Beloved, you have a choice to make today. You have a choice to make every moment, every morning, every noon, every night. Perhaps some for the first time, whether you choose Christ at all, or some whether you're going to choose to obey Christ better in a certain area, love him more, and then enjoy more of his blessing. But you have a choice. What's that next career move? What's that next thing you're going to do with studying? What's that next thing you're going to do with this or that? Family, other things. Are you choosing based on God and honoring Christ ultimately or for the world which would make you God? The end will be a curse or blessing. And how many come back later in the church and say, I should have listened. I should have chose Christ well. And now I got all this I'm dealing with because I didn't. God is kindly reminding you, you have a choice to make. Choose wisely. Choose love. Choose life. Ultimately, choose the Lord alone. It is a momentous occasion as they're about to go into this place. It is a mammoth decision. God holds out the options of blessing or curse and calls on them to make a choice already. I will have you turn back with me for this. Turn to chapter 7 because there was a sermon on this idea of choose the blessing. You got two options. Chapter 7 earlier in his sermon, and again he's repeating most things, but I do want to revisit this. Chapter 7 verses 9 to 11. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. See, no other gods. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Or as said in our text today, he's not a respecter of persons. He can't be bribed. And he cares about those who can't even pay. About the poor things. He's not going to be impressed. He's not a respecter of persons. And he'll bring it back to you. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them this day. And so now the same idea is held forth with this amazing image that's going to be enacted out. Uh, Verses 26 to 29. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side, Jordan, by the way where the sun goeth down, in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the champaign over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Morah? 
For ye shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you, and ye shall possess it and dwell therein, and ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Notice he's, he's drawing out again. you got these two choices, Malgirazim with the blessing or Mar Ebal with the curse. They're both representing, you choose not to love me, which is therefore you won't live for me according to my commandments. Therefore, you will not choose to have your life blessed because you're ultimately not choosing me. You're choosing other gods. And that's the close of this first commandment. Choose only him. He's the source of life. He is love. He's the source and fount of all blessing. Choose him and don't go to the cisterns of this world spouting out lies from their mouths as if they're the source of life and water. Only God, the Holy Spirit is. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to get into it in much more detail today because at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 27, this is really going to be drawn out. And in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35, they actually do this after they've passed the Jordan. And verse 33 in particular, half of Israel one way, half the other, and they proclaim curse or a blessing on these mountains. They have a covenant renewal ceremony again. Now we're on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land. We are renewing our covenant to keep covenant with God who keeps covenant with us. We will live all his commands. We seek to have his full blessing. And these two mountains will always be a testimony and a reminder to us. You could say later, a father could point, a mother could point to one of the mountain Ebal and say, you see that mountain that's testifying against us. We've chosen destruction and death. We've chosen a lackluster, difficult life because we, we chose other gods. We didn't choose God and we're not choosing to love and live for him. Or Mount Gerizim, you see, by God's grace, he's kept our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we have chosen his blessing on Gerizim. My children, I encourage you, either parent, right, in either scenario, choose life, choose love, choose the Lord alone and have his blessing and let those mountains always witness to you. Make that choice. Notice another repeated sub theme is where they are, their present place and where they are about to progress and possess the promised land. Remember, they're in the plains of Moab and they're going to cross the Jordan soon. They get to the other side and they start taking the land. They're almost in it. They can smell it, right? Moses says, let me see it before I die. And he gets to see it in the distance. And they're so close, they're about to go in. And so the sense of, we saw last week, make progress because of God's grace, right? Go in, you're going to go in. But when you go in there, remember you're so close. Don't forget God who brought you here. That's, and that you had nothing to do with it. And you shouldn't be here. Remember him if you want to stay and if you want a blessing here. That's what he's saying. When you get to the, how quick and easy it's going to be to go over there and start saying it was your might and power that had these houses and vineyards that you didn't build or cultivate. You don't go in there thinking it's because of your righteousness that you got in here, you wicked, rebellious, stiff-necked people. Don't forget these things. Remember God, and don't think that it's the false gods who are worshipped in this place. Notice this presence, where they are and where they're about to go, what place they're going to take the promised land. Chapter 10, verses 12 and 22 says, And now... And then later you see the phrase often, this day, chapter 10, uh, 15, 11, 13, and 32. And I'm pretty sure I saw a couple other places with Anne now that I neglected to note. And then notice, until this place, chapter 11, verse 5, there to possess, 11, verse 8. 
beyond, you will beyond pass over the Jordan, chapter 11, 30 to 31. He's preparing them not only to get the place, but he's preparing them for the place that they can enjoy its best blessing. They're looking over the land. They're about to go in and take over with these mountains on both sides of the valley among the first sea where their feet will tread. Notice that refrain. It is already a significant patriarchal place, Genesis 12, verse 6. Genesis 34, you can go back and look at that. It's already a place their forefathers have been, and the promise has been made. You'll get it here. They're going now to get it, and they need to choose to be blessed in it. They must choose, as did Abraham, to walk with God whatever he says. Even if you don't understand, you don't know where. J. Ritterboss says that the mountains, Gerizim and Ebal, they face each other with the fertile valley of Shechem laying between them. P.C. Craigie explains the context of this passage is important. It serves as a conclusion to the preceding part of the address in that it places the audience in a position of a decision, which will soon have to be made. And he points out that the structure of uh, chapter 11, verses 26 through the end, the rest of the book that's going to break down all the commands and will remind them at the end to choose to obey and live and not choose to disobey and die. I'm going to give you to this quickly, and I hope you can get the sense of it, but I, it's, I think it's a good enough insight and significant enough I want to give it to you. I don't usually pass these kinds of things on to you. It is an inclusio. It's a, it's a chiastic. Uh, it's a chiasm, really. Chiasm means there's something said here, there's something said here, they parallel each other, and then the emphasis is different in the middle. Could go the other way, but here we have things said on the outside building up to the middle. And so the middle and the ends are really the emphasis. So let me give this chiastic structure to you first. The blessing, and this is coming from uh, P.C. First, the blessing and curse in the present, in the present renewal of the covenant. Chapter 11, verses uh, 26 to 28. Next, the blessing and curse, uh, maybe I should say, blessing and curse in the future renewal of the covenant. Chapter 11, 29 to 32. At the top, in the middle, the specific legislation. Chapter 12, 1 through 26, 19. Almost all of it. Then... The blessing and curse in the future renewal of the covenant, chapter 27, 1 to 26. And then lastly, the blessing and curse in the present renewal of the covenant. Present, future, keep my commands. Blessing in the present, blessing in the future, keep my commands. That's how the rest of the book is going to go. Emphasizing what in the middle? Keep his commands. Why? So you got his blessings in the present and in the future. Keep his commands, which is how he closes the sermon on this first commandment, right? And how he talks about it all the way. You see, choosing to obey now blesses your future. The promised land is a type of heaven eternally with the only God. This needs to be emphasized. Look at chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. The Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords. That is, there is no other God. Superlative, it's not that there are other gods. He's the only God, which what he emphasized at the beginning of the sermon with the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. One God, only God. So only love him, he can only love you. Only he, there's no one else who can. Well, no one else you can serve or love back. He's the God of gods. And he's telling them, no other gods before me is this sermon on the first commandment, chapter 6 through 11. 
This calls them back to him and away from other gods. The fitting close of the whole section, again, chapter 6 through the end of our chapter 11 today. Especially uh, chapter 11, verses 16 and 28. If you'd look there with me, please. Take heed to yourselves, verse 16, that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. See, that's the heart of the matter. First commandment, no other gods before me, not in my presence. There are no other gods, but you can act like there are, and then you're not worshiping me. No other gods. And then you see this uh, again in verse uh, 28. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods, which you have not known. You see that emphasis? No other gods. He is the only God. Love and serve him only. The danger of turning to other gods. Notice also if you let your heart get distracted instead of filling it with the love of the Lord by keeping his commands. Fitting close of the whole section. John D. Curd explains that the text on rain is a polemic against the main god of Canaan, Baal. So again, he's preparing them for this place where they are presently. You're about to go into this place, and they worship Baal, who they think is the god who gives rain. Don't be distracted to think you've got to worship him. Cover the bases. I alone give the rain. And he says that Shechem was the site of the temple of Baal Barith. Barith means covenant. Judges 9.4, he says, meaning Lord of the covenant. Baal Barith, the Lord of the covenant, is named one of the false gods. I'm the only God. I'm the only one to be in covenant with. So J.G. McConville explains the importance of Shechem, therefore, may be to emphasize the Deuteronomic insistence that only a covenant with Yahweh will be true and valid for Israel. It's time to make a choice. Choosing is the emphasis of the text. Choosing what you know about God. Choose him whom you know. He says, you do not know the other gods. 11 verse 28. You don't know them. They don't you know you. They can't be known. They're no one. And they've done nothing for you. But you know God. You know what he's done for you. You've seen with your own eyes for the last 40 years. Always delivering. Always guiding. Always disciplining and growing. By amazing mighty acts. God is God alone. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. 10 verse 17. You know this. You know him. He alone loves you. He alone knows you. He alone is whom you can know and love back. So don't choose to love fake gods. No other gods before me you're about to go in. I'm calling upon you to live out the rest of the commands. It starts here. Will you love me alone as the only God? And will that be seen in your living for me and having the blessing of life? Remember the first commandment Moses is concluding. Because he alone is the source of all life. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life John eleven twenty five. he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Choose Christ. Choose life in Christ, living for Christ. Jesus Christ alone is God, and he came to earth to bring you to heaven as God's only mediator. 
Again, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Where do we hear that elsewhere? Revelation of Jesus. Revelation 17, verse 14, these shall make war with the lamb, the lamb is Jesus, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. You're called to be chosen and faithful for the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who gives you the great commission, teach people to obey everything I've commanded. Revelation 19, verse 16, of Jesus coming on his white horse, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Trying not to break out into Handel's Messiah right now. But he will reign forever and ever, and your life in heaven with him too, and a blessed life here if you serve him as king. Jesus lived his life perfectly to secure for you the true eternal promised land if you choose him. He offers you a blessed life along the way if you choose to follow him closely. He calls on you to choose him alone as your Lord. Make your choice. Make your choice. Hear his call through Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, you choose what you're going to choose. I'm choosing for my house, and we're choosing we will serve the Lord. Christ is calling you to make that choice for him. His name is based off of Joshua. And beloved, may your answer to Jesus be as the people was in that generation of the church to Joshua's call. To make a choice. Verses 16 and 18 of Joshua 24. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed and the Lord drave out from before us all the people even the Amorites which dwelt in the land therefore will we also serve the Lord for he is our God we we choose God. We choose love. We choose life because we choose God, the Lord, alone. And beloved, God will continually to call you to make this choice every moment of your life. And don't think that the little choices aren't the most important ones. God will continually call you in Christ to choose love, choose life, choose the Lord alone. Now, I want to thank you for last week and this week enduring long texts and long sermons. I wrestled with whether I should keep it all together. I thought it was the best way to present the text to you. And frankly, looking at when there is revival and reformation and the, when they read the law, they give you long messages and everybody's standing, man, woman, and child. So I felt compelled by that and a uh, habit of uh, people hearing sermons from Augustine and the Puritans. But this sermon alone, this is a sermon for Moses. Look how long it's taken us to get through it. And I'm just giving you his conclusion today. And it's a long conclusion. But I want to recognize it is long, but we want to pay attention to that as well. J.G. McGonville points out 
it expressly, this first sermon on the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, it expressly prepares life, excuse me, expressly prepares for life in the land and provides a transition from the exposition of the main Deuteronomy themes to the law corpus, the body of the law. So what he's saying is from here, we get into everything else. It won't always be as long, but we got to, we got to focus on the, what's to focus on. We're going to major on the main thing. This is a long sermon by Moses. And you've got a couple of long sermons concluding it of the first commandment, because that's where it starts and ends. The other nine commandments follow more quickly, having been set up by the set up to and detailed emphasis and application of this, the first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But this makes sense. Because as John Curd, quoting Calvin, Calvin says about the first commandment, it is the foundation of all true religion. So you make a choice today. As you step out into tomorrow, will you live out the other nine commandments? It begins with what you choose today about this, the first, as we conclude Moses' sermon about it. Choose where you go from here. Choose with whom you go from here. And determine this day whom you will serve with every choice you face and make along life's pilgrimage. And choose love and life in the Lord alone. And that is the message for you today from the text. Choose love and life in the Lord alone. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're moving on now to the second commandment. It all starts here. Choose love and life in the Lord alone. Let us pray. O Lord God, to whom shall we go? Lord Jesus, you who are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, God of Gods, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, you have the words of eternal life. You are life, and you give an abundant life to enjoy in our pilgrimage until the day of eternal life. In the new heavens and the new earth, we know that you live this law out perfectly on our behalf, that we can enter the true promised land and not leave. Because even then you will have transformed us completely in glory that we will only obey and live in your righteousness. But Lord, we thank you that even along the way you offer us peace that is not of this world and abundant life. All these blessings to enjoy now, contentment regardless of what's happening. Lord, help us to diligently seek you that you would reward us in our service and love of you. With more of you, our exceeding great reward. And we pray in Jesus' name and all your people said.